0: What we're going to be talking about today is really the power of love and what real love, I'm talking about real love, will drive us to do in our lives. Love drives us, real love drives us to put others before ourselves. And one of the things that we're going to see as we look at this passage today is that that's what love drove Paul to do as well. We've seen how deeply he loved the followers of Jesus in Thessalonica. But what does that do to him? What, how does he act in light of that love? That's what we're going to see as we as we pick it up here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, um, where we, we start with, therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. And then Let's go ahead and, for just a moment, skip through verses 3 and 4 and go back down to, go down to verse 5. This is where he kind of completes his thought. He says, for, for this reason, when I, can, when I can endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and that our labor would be in vain. He's told us that Satan has been throwing obstacles in his path, right? That's what he said back in verse 18 of chapter 2. He said, for we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. He knew that they had been persecuted by the same people who had persecuted him and by the same people who had persecuted and killed our Lord Jesus. They were being beaten. They were being arrested, thrown in jail. He doesn't know exactly how they're standing, though. And so his concern reached a boiling point that forces him to make a decision. Does he keep his closest companion? Maybe his best friend. Does he keep his best friend with him in the city of Athens or does he surrender that comfort? And Paul's telling us that he decided to send Timothy. And so Paul writes, we thought it best to be left at Athens alone. He's talking about himself and Silas. But Paul is going to surrender his best friend, his closest companion, so what was the purpose of Paul sending Timothy? Well, in, verses, in verse 2, he says to strengthen and encourage them. And then in verse 5, he says to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So why did Paul send Timothy? It was because ultimately he, he loved the Thessalonians. He loved them. And so Paul was more interested in providing for their needs than in feeling the comfort of having Timothy there with him. So the first principle that we can get here is that when you love somebody, when you truly love somebody, you will be willing to surrender anything, even your own comfort, for the sake of making sure that they're walking with Jesus. And so the reason that Paul sent Timothy, he tells us, is for the sake of strengthening and encouraging the faith of the Christ followers in Thessalonica. So why did he feel like he needed to do that? He tells us in verses three and four where he writes, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. Now I I don't want us to miss the reason that he's willing to sacrifice here. It's because one of the things that Paul assured them about and assures us about is the coming of affliction, persecution, trials, the storms of life. They're coming. They're coming. Whether you realize it or not, be ready. Brace yourself, because they're coming. But look at what he says about those afflictions. He says, we have been destined for this. See, if we fail to realize that we'll face affliction too, then the result is that affliction will cause us to stumble. So why does Paul make this such a huge piece of his teaching? It's something that they were apparently very well aware was coming on. Well, I think there are a couple reasons that Paul uh, taught about this. First of all, it's the model that that God gave him. It's the the model that God gave him. In, In the book of Acts, we see that Paul was persecuting Christians. He was on the other side of that end. He was the one causing their afflictions. And on the road to Damascus, he confronts Jesus. Jesus comes to him and, and, and blinds him for a period of three days and turns his life around, turns Paul's life around. And what, what happens is God sends this man called Ananias to go get Paul, a Christ follower named Ananias to go get Paul. And as, uh, as God's speaking to Ananias, he says of Paul, He is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, God could have said, I'll show him how much I can bless him. I'll show him all the pitfalls that I can save him from. I'll show him that his life will be happier than it's ever been before. No. No. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. The second reason I think Paul incorporates this in his teaching is because it's also what Jesus taught his followers about. In John chapter 15... Verses 18 to 20, he says, If the world hates you, he's talking to his disciples here, his followers. He says, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Jesus also encouraged his followers, count the cost. Count the cost. Before you follow me, you need to know what you're getting yourself into. So count the cost. Know that it's not easy. Know that there will be sacrifices. Count the cost. The principle there is we should be honest with people and with ourselves. It's not the most appealing concept in the world. You know, I understand that to tell people, you know, if if you believe this, you can expect affliction. But when you're honest with people like that, and those afflictions come, there's a better chance that they're going to stand strong in their faith because those times will come. In 2 Timothy, Paul wrote, all who desire to live live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Again, he doesn't say all will be blessed or all will prosper. He says, all will be persecuted. Paul Chappell says, the devil doesn't persecute those who aren't making a godly difference in the world. If you're not making a difference, of course affliction doesn't need to come. Satan sends affliction to slow you down. If you don't need to be slowed down, he won't send affliction. See, there's a price to pay for following Jesus. Count that cost. Satan will cause the new believer to, to stumble if it's anywhere within his possibility, within his means, if it's possible at all. Friendships. They might lose friendships because of it. That's affliction. He will attack marriages mercilessly. If he can't get you, he'll go after your spouse. Guaranteed. He'll do things in the church to cause dysfunction or confusion so that new believers have no idea which way is which. They don't know what to believe. Because, well, they walk away and they just say, well, I'm just, I just felt burned by the church because this group went this way and this group went that way. And so they end up feeling abused or burned by the church. But Keith Green actually wrote, I think, this great lyric about, uh, about that. He said, if you've been burned, here's what I've learned. The Lord's not the one to blame. You can expect hardship. And the people that we impact can expect hardship too. And if you want to impact people and prepare them properly, speak that truth into their lives. Prepare your children for that truth. Temptation will come. Affliction will come. And you know what? If you find yourself right now struggling because you're finding yourself in a storm and you weren't prepared for it, nobody told you that it was going to be this hard. First of all, let me just tell you, let me assure you that you're not alone we will all go through that. But I would encourage you to use this time, the time that you're spending in this storm, whatever that might be, I would encourage you to use this time to draw closer to the Lord and to learn to lean more on Him, rely on Him. Anyway, Paul's anxiety doesn't go on indefinitely. He goes on to write in verses 6 and 8, he says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. So do you you see the change in Paul's tone? It was almost like as he was writing this, he was was almost going through it again emotionally, the, the distress. And as he's recalling Timothy's report, you sense relief. The time that he had spent in Thessalonica Thessalonica, wasn't in vain. The hours that he had spent praying for them wasn't in vain. None of it was in vain. Not only had they remained faithful and strong in the midst of their afflictions, but, he tells us, they were apparently longing to see Paul just as much as he was longing to see them. Now, notice that Timothy doesn't come back and and report... um, Hey, we had a hundred decisions for Christ. Praise God, we had all these people receive Jesus as their Savior. That's not what he says. He doesn't say, these guys know the Bible so well now. These guys are practically scholars. They're ready to take on anybody. That's not what he says either. No, the thing that Paul is so excited about, the thing that Timothy reports that Paul gets so excited about is their faith, their love. And the fact that they're not mad at Paul, even though Paul was really indirectly kind of the the cause of their afflictions because he's the one who brought the message. The message caused, their acceptance of the message caused their afflictions. Instead of feeling bitterness or resentment, oh man, that guy Paul, if he wouldn't have been here, we, we never would have gone through all this. Instead of that, they've got fond memories of him. They're looking forward to seeing him again. Now imagine for a second that you you went on a mission, just like a you know a short term mission, maybe for two weeks, and you go to, to this country where uh, followers of Jesus are being persecuted. Uh, they're being beaten. Um, they're being fired from their jobs. You know the government's requiring that they that they lose their jobs. Uh, they're being arrested. They're being treated unjustly in the court systems. I mean the the judges are just kind of turning a blind eye to justice. And so they're spending all this time in jail. And so you come back from this mission trip, and you, you go to the church that, that, you, that sent you, if, if it was this church or whatever, and uh, you want to give a report of what's happening. I, I can kind of imagine you'd say, this would be me, I, I would say. It's awful over there. They're undergoing these tremendous hardships over there. We need to do something. We need to... We need to protest their government. We need to contact our our senators and our congressmen and make sure that they're aware of all the injustice over there and the way that Christians are being treated over there. Right? I I can just imagine that that's kind of where our mindset would be. About a year, maybe a year and a half ago, a pastor friend of mine was was telling me that he had this conversation with some missionaries who were from China. And in, in this part of China... Um, you you really weren't allowed to to have a Bible. You definitely were not allowed to have a church service without the state approving it. And so the result is that the the Christians in this area um, were being thrown in jail. They were being beaten. They were were losing their jobs. And so as this pastor friend of mine concluded the conversation, he said, "I, I want you to know that we're praying for your persecution to decrease so that your ministry can grow. You know what the Chinese missionary said back to him? We're praying for your persecution to increase so that your faith can grow. Wow! That smacks me upside the head because I, I don't think that way. But when you've gone through the trials and you've seen what it's done to your faith, that's where they're coming from. Their faith hasn't been diminished because of their persecution, their faith has been strengthened because of their persecution. So Timothy comes back and he reports that there's affliction, that there's persecution. But it's something to rejoice over. Because these followers of Jesus in Thessalonica are standing firm in their faith in the midst of it instead of being derailed. Because see, affliction is actually proof of faithfulness. So the fact that they are being afflicted, persecuted, means that they are standing faithful with the Lord. So it's a report of celebration and affliction. Is that weird? It seems kind of weird to me, but I I need to train my, my, my mind to see things a different way, obviously. Suffering isn't a sign that you don't have God's favor or blessing in your life. It's a sign that you're walking strong with the Lord. Now notice the fact that the Thessalonian followers of Jesus... Uh, we're undergoing the fact that they're undergoing affliction didn't cause Paul's anxiety to increase; it caused it to de- decrease. Why? Because when you when you love people the way that God loves them, you just rejoice to know that they are standing firm in their faith in Jesus. I think John uh, it, had the same kind of attitude. The Apostle John had the same kind of attitude about the people that he had trained. He wrote in Third John, uh, verse four. He says, "I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children." walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than this. Nothing else makes him happier than that. So here's what we need to catch. See, Paul was, was stressed out, right? He, he had all this anxiety. He was going through this time of sorrow, but he didn't use those feelings. This is important. Catch this. He didn't use those negative feelings as a reason or as an excuse to be selfish, To think of himself, he used it as an opportunity to think of others, to be selfless and sacrificial. And so the result that we see here is that he reaps rewards. He's comforted by the report, by knowing that they're going through these afflictions. See, we we can rejoice and and seek comfort in the success of others who are standing firmly in their faith as they're going through the storms of life. Let's continue. Uh, Verses 9 and 10. Paul writes, For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. So Paul's basically asking, how could we ever thank God enough? Well, by thanking God. He prays without ceasing for them day and night. And he prays for for something that we should take note of. First of all, he, he prays that he would see them face to face again. That's, that's not a surprise. He's already told us that. We know that. But he prays that whatever might be lacking in their faith would be completed. Parents, when was the last time you prayed for that for your kids? That's what hit me as I read this. What if my son undergoes persecution and that persecution completes his faith, makes it stronger, makes it more steadfast so that when bigger storms come someday, he's ready. Am I praying that? I need to be. I need to be. When was the last time you prayed that for yourself? Lord, make my faith complete. I don't care what you have to do. Make my faith stronger. That's a dangerous prayer. That's a dangerous prayer because God will do it and he'll do it in a way that isn't the most comfortable thing in the world. I can honestly say that the times of my life when I've grown in my walk with the Lord the most were the toughest times of my life. Those tough times that would have broken me were times when God could work in me and bring me more toward a completed faith, bring me further along that journey. So Paul says that he... Uh, continually prayed most earnestly. That's an interesting term. That's, I think that's, that's significant. When was, when was the last time you can say that you prayed most earnestly? Like, you know, if, if somebody comes up to me and they, they ask for prayer, I, you know, I, I might say, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll be praying for you. But there's a difference if I say, I'll be praying for you most earnestly. That, it's It's emotional. There's an emotional implication there. Because, see, when you're, when you're praying for somebody and for their walk with Jesus because you don't know how they're doing, it should be emotional. It should be. You want to know how to love people that way? I, I think Paul actually gives us some good insight in the following verses where he shares the prayer that he had for the Thessalonians. He shares it both with them and with us, writing in verses 11 to 13, Now may our Lord and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people just as we also do for you so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So the reality that we're we're faced with here is that if we love people, we not only put them and their needs before our own. And we're not only willing to invest ourselves, our our time, our emotions, our energy in them. We want the greatest good for them in the end. On judgment day. No matter what that cost might be for us. Now Paul actually prays a few things here. He, He prays to see them face to face. Uh, Even though Timothy has told him that their ministry is is characterized by by love and and faith, Paul prays that the Lord would cause them to increase and abound in love, not only for one another, and by the way, um, loving one another is the one characteristic that Jesus says will tell the world that you belong to him. So the second thing he prays for is not only that they would abound in love for one another, but number three, also that their love would abound toward all people. In the same way that Paul and his team of missionaries loved the people of Thessalonica. And fourth, he prays that God would establish their hearts so that they would be holy and blameless when Jesus returns. What would happen if that was our prayer for the people around us, for our friends and family who don't know Jesus? Or who maybe know him, but... They're faltering. They're not taking their faith that seriously yet. What if that was our prayer? That we would increase in love for them and for all people. What if that was our prayer for our community? And, and what would happen if our, if our hearts were that broken for them? See, here's, here's the point of all this. If you love somebody... You want to provide for their needs before your own. More than they need your friendship, they need Jesus. More than they need your companionship, they need Jesus. What's going to save them on the day of judgment? See, That's what Paul's getting at here. Some people will say, well, you know, the doctrine of the rapture, it's not that important. The doctrine of of judgment, it's not important. Let's just focus on here and now. No, Paul's saying this is the light that we need to see people in light of. Because if they don't know Jesus, nothing is going to save them on that day. And so if you really love them, if you really love the people around you, the way that God loves them, you need to be thinking about what's going to happen to them on that day. And you need to act in light of that reality. Let's pray. Lord, we confess to you that we are a people who rely completely on you and that we get sidetracked, Lord, and that often we we don't see people the way that you see people. Often we just pass them by without a second thought. Often we live right across the street from people and we never even think of what might happen to that person when they have to come face to face with you someday. And we repent of that, Lord. I pray that you will teach us to see people the way that you see them. And God, that you will break our hearts for them. That they might stand firm in you. Whether they are already there or not, Lord, you know what it takes to get them there. And we pray that we would just be instruments in your hand, Vessels of grace that this world so desperately needs. of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today. And keep growing closer to Jesus.